0: Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. And today, what I'm going to talk about is creating a good set list. And a set list... If you've played in a band, you know what it is. It's that piece of paper on the floor with the songs written on it that you intend to play during your part of the show. That's your set list. And I think that a lot of bands could benefit by spending a little more time designing their sets carefully so that what you're writing is a script for, you, for the show that you're about to give. And if you half-heartedly do it, uh, you know, it's going to affect the final product. If you can write a great set, you have a better chance of playing a great show. So I'm just going to go through a whole bunch of ideas about set lists. Now remember that a set list is not the same as a song list. Every band should have a song list and maintain a song list. For many years in Cedar Hill, the Duck, our banjo player, kind of maintained the song list. And there were literally hundreds of songs on that list. And that list had everything we had ever worked up, had ever performed, or could possibly perform. And he had them divided up in vocals and instrumentals. There was a a whole page full of instrumentals and a whole page full of singing songs. The, so your song list is, we could do this song, or we have done this song in the past, or, well, you know, we're going to begin to, we're going to work on this. Some of our guys know this song, but not everybody that's, it's, it's like your library. It's where you draw from to create set lists. You obviously don't want to write a set that contains songs that you haven't rehearsed and you don't play very well. So the song list is your library of these are ready to go tunes and your set list you pull from that. Now, you could divide your song list into a variety of types of tunes. If you look through all the songs that your band is currently playing or capable of playing, you're going to have fast banjo instrumentals. You're going to have fiddle tunes. You're going to have things that feature the mandolin. You're going to have uh, medium-tempo trio songs. You're going to have up-tempo duets. You're going to have slow tunes, you're going to have waltzes, you're going to, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of songs. So it's not a bad idea to, on your master song list, write down what what they are, you know, categorize them a little bit. And the reason I say this is when you design a set, if you put on an album, and many times an old traditional album with, you know, ten songs <clears throat> on each side was a pretty good example of what a good set is. Each side of the album would be almost like one set at a live show. So you want to you want to have a lot of variety, but you also don't want to yank them around, yank the audience around too much. You don't want to take them from massive energetic highs to super lows either. So I like to think of designing a set list more in terms of a wave-like motion. So you will build, and the wave builds, and then it will subside. And then it will build again, and it may subside again. And then for the big finish, it's going to build to a climax at the end. And we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. Typically, for bluegrass bands, because of the normal length of most bluegrass songs... It's pretty safe to say that a set of a typical 45-minute set, it's safe to say 13 songs. Now, you may only be able to squeeze in 12 or maybe 11, but I doubt you're going to be able to get 14, 15 songs in a 45-minute set. So, I, I have always operated with the 13 songs, and then if I need to cut, I can always cut. But it's it's hard to add off off the cuff. You know, when you're you're coming up to your final song on the set list and the and the guy over the MC gives you the two more sign and you don't have anything there, that's a problem. Your show has already peaked, they want more, and you don't have anything planned. So it's far better to have too many. Let's say you've got the 13-song standard set list, and you're coming along there, and you're at about song 9, and they say two more. Now you got some options. And what I have always done is, if you're playing where somebody else is controlling the time, and they give you the two more, one more, I always just jump straight to the final two songs. If they say two more, we're skipping. We're going to finish what we're doing, and then we're going to skip to the end. I don't doesn't matter if we skip one or two or three. It doesn't matter. I'm going to the final two songs. If they say two more, we're jumping ahead to the final two. So that, that section of the set that's right before the ending is sort of that optional time. You know, if you lose one, it's not going to kill your your entire show. So that's a good place to put in things that are sort of duplicates of things that you've done earlier. If you already did a slow fiddle tune at song 3, and you've got another one you'd like to do, stick it around song 10. That way, if it does get cut, you haven't completely eliminated that, that type of thing, that style. Okay, so let's go through here. Oh, and before I leave that, the reason I always leave those two songs, I try to jump to them if anything goes, if we're running short of time, and I want to go to those final two because those, the final two are very planned. They're planned to really go out with a bang. So I don't want to monkey with them. The last thing in the world I'd want to ever do is cut the final tune because that's the ultimate climax of the show, and you don't want to to chop that off. Chop something off before that. Okay, let's go through a few of these ideas about how to create a set list. The first thing that I think you should do, and I already mentioned it, is to think of the show as sort of a wave. A wave of ups and downs, emotional ups and downs. Now, this wave, I believe, because of we're a bluegrass outfit, I think it makes a good impression to come out of the gate strong. Think of it as a horse race. You don't want to just come trotting out of the gate. So you want a very strong beginning and you want a very strong finish. Notice I did not say you want a fast or a loud. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is you want to really do your best at the beginning and at the end. Because at the beginning, you've just been introduced. Maybe you introduced yourself. And people, you need to get their attention back. Because, let's say you've just been on a 15-minute break. You need to recapture the attention of the audience in the first song. And mold them back into an audience. So, you want a good, strong opening and a good finish. The middle stuff is where the wave action takes place. So, you might start off with... I like to always start with, a, with an instrumental, especially when someone else is running the sound, because it gives the sound man a chance to kind of tweak and dial in the sound without the extra burden of vocals. All he's got to do is worry about five instruments. And then the second song, I will always have it be a vocal, because by then... The sound man has the instruments pretty well established, and now he's going to kind of uh, refine the sound of the vocals. Now everything's good, and you're just off to the races, as they say. So that was kind of my, my philosophy for set design. Start with a good hot instrumental, then go into a vocal tune. And I don't want to drop from a, from a hot tune down to some slow tearjerker or something like that i want both songs at the beginning to kind of be upbeat and uh, you know exciting because as i said before you're trying to capture the audience and pull their attention in and some people may not be drawn in by the first song You know, A lot of people get up and go get something to eat and they're talking during the break and you're trying to pull them back in. So an instrumental will grab their attention, then the vocal will even draw their attention even more to the stage. So that's what I like to do at the beginning, an instrumental and then a vocal, both of them kind of up-tempo. Then you can begin to go into other types of songs and you begin to bring variety in. Uh, One more thing I like to do with those first two songs is I like to make sure that there are no capo changes necessary between the first two songs. And I don't like to stop and waste any time before song one or before song two. I like to think of those two songs as just back to back. So we'd walk out, Maybe the audience is is clapping. You might say something as simple as thank you. And bam, you hit them with the first song, which is a hot instrumental. And then at the end of that, you're going to get some applause. Before that applause dies down to zero, while it's still, let it taper off. And when it's almost gone, bam, you kick off the second tune. And it's a vocal. That sort of, of style of performing is very fast-paced. They haven't heard you really say anything. You haven't come out and said, Oh, thank you very much. We're, we're just proud to be here for our little part of the show. And let me introduce the members of the... You know, <laughs> You're not doing any of that. Because that's not going to capture the attention of the audience. A good hot instrumental... And then bust right into one of your better vocal tunes. That will draw them in. Now you got them. You got them eating out of the palm of your hand. So now's the time you need to let them breathe a little bit. That's pretty exciting. So that, in between the second and third song, is a great time to let some of the air out. That's when your MC steps up mentions the band name, thanks the audience for being there, whatever. Not too long, don't get into a bunch of, you know, a half an hour of yakking. Don't waste their time. But that's the time to acknowledge and thank the audience. And while that's going on, it's that's a good point to make capo shifts. If your your banjo player needs to put his capo on the guitar player needs to put a capo on, that's the time to do it while whoever is emceeing is talking. Get it done so that as soon as he's done, bam, you're into the third song. And it's very seamless if it's done well. What you don't want to do is let it come, you're building, you do the first two songs, MC starts talking, he gets done, And then, then people are fiddling around trying to figure out what we're doing next, and putting the capos on and stuff like that. If if any audience member ever notices that 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 the show has stopped so that you can either tune or put on a capo, then you're not doing it right. That stuff should not be noticeable. It just happens. Now, you as a musician, you see them doing it. But, you know, with capo changes, if the player has the set list in front of them and they know what's coming, as soon as they finish one, they know what they're about to do. So it's very easy to go, well, I need to put my capo on the fourth fret for that song. So they finish one song and they just simply put it on there it takes very little time. What eats up time is when people don't know what's going on. So this uh, brings me to an important point, which is your set needs to be written. You need to write it down. And I am not a big believer in that... Uh, some I played with some people who thought it was... They, they did believe that you should write down your songs before you went out there, but they were generally scribbled right before we walked out. And I don't like to operate that way because very little thought goes into those kind of sets. Or worse yet is our bands who just operate from the song list. They just carry the song list and whatever floats their boat at that moment is what they do. You're not going to produce quality sets over and over and over if you're constantly winging it. I'm not saying it can't be done. You know, if people are very practiced at doing that, maybe they can create good sets like that. But the people that are, let's say your band leader does that. He's just got a book. He just sort of, whatever he feels like doing, that's, he calls it out and you do it. You don't know what's coming. You're over there playing your mandolin or something and you don't know what's coming. Or you're the guitar player and you don't know what he's about to do next. How can you mentally prepare for the next song, or physically prepare, you know, put your capo on, think about the words to the first verse? How are you going to do that if you don't know what's coming? So, I'm a big believer in you should write your sets down beforehand. And they should be written large enough that anybody can see them. If you're laying them on the floor, write them in big one-inch letters, neatly, neatly. So that, you know, some guy two two people over from you can glance over and see him and know what's coming. I also think it's important to put the key. So you might put C space and then the title of the tune. Then A space and the title of the tune. That'd be a very basic thing because sometimes it's pretty easy to forget what keys things are in. Especially if you're a capo user. Because if, you, you, if you're if you a guitar player and you use a capo, you could play it in G, or A, or B-flat, or B, and you play them all the same. You just put the capo in a different place. So, it it's really easy to forget, is it B or B-flat for the guitar player. The mandolin player, or the bass player, or the fiddle player, they probably won't forget. Because they don't use capos. So... Be considerate, and as you write your set list, put the key and put the title. And you can put more stuff on there, which I'll talk about in a minute. So I believe in the the big, powerful kickoff, the two-tune mini set, an instrumental, then a good, powerful vocal, and then that little breathing moment, a little bit of patter, a little bit of chatter, and then get into the variety. So let's talk about variety. How do you establish variety? You can establish it right from the beginning. Even in those first two songs, you've already put in some variety because you did an instrumental, then you did a vocal. That's variety right off the bat. You could vary it even more if the instrumental is in one key and the vocal is in a different key. Or you could... They could be both in the same key, but they're kind of stylistically different. Maybe a different tempo. So think of ways of creating variety. Are changing the keys, changing the tempos, or changing the style, or even kind of the theme of the song. Like, if you got a song that's, let's say, a spiritual number... um, and you follow it by a beer-drinking moonshine song. That that's a style change. Okay, those might seem real weird back to back. You know, It'd be because they're sitting there scratching their heads thinking, "Now wait a minute, these boys are singing about uh, the the Book of Ezekiel, and then they go into a moonshine song." So what you might want to do is, if you've got styles that are sort of or themes that are sort of Conflicting when they're sitting right next to each other? Separate them a little bit. Stick an instrumental between them. That gives people time to forget what you just did. You know what I mean? So there are ways to design sets with variety. Think different keys, different tempos, different styles, different themes, and you might even add different featured performer. Because if you've got five people in your band, and at some point you want to feature the fiddle player, and you want to feature the uh, banjo player, and you want to feature the mandolin player. Sometimes you can do those simultaneously. One instrumental could feature all of those guys. But sometimes you just want to feature this guy singing lead. Your bass player is going to step up and sing lead. Maybe that's the only one he sings on, so he's sort of featured. That is variety, too, because if The other 12 songs were sung by Bob. And this one is sung by Fred. That's variety. So try to build variety in. If you're doing the same kind of thing, back to back to back to back, you're going to lose the audience. Because everything, you've heard this thing, uh, people say, all fiddle tunes sound alike. Well, they sound alike unless you're a fiddle player. But they don't have to sound alike. If you change the tempos, change the keys, change the style, change the theme, change the featured performer. Try to keep it always changing. What I've uh, run across with um, sort of these um, upstart bands is this philosophy. Well, let's knock out all our G tunes. And then when I put my capo on, I want to play all my A tunes so I don't have to fiddle around and adjust the fist string on my banjo. You know, you got people that don't. They'll say things like, well, while we're in B-flat, let's do such and such. No. I mean, that's okay at a jam session, maybe, where you're not really putting on a show. But if you just did a song in B-flat, the next song, in my opinion, should not be in B-flat unless it's significantly different in style, tempo, Something. You need to make something different all the time. People need to be experiencing changes throughout the set. Not same old thing all the way through. You're not playing for a square dance. You know? This is a show. So, bust it up and play with some variety. A lot of people, I think, that do that thing of, Hey, while we're in A, let's do this. And, hey, while i got my cape on, let's do that. I think they do that because they're just not maybe that quick about getting their instrument back in tune. This is really uh, common with banjo players. I mean, we all know how temperamental a banjo can be. But if you're you're popping on your capo, if you're in G and you pop on your capo in A and you have to spend two minutes retuning, you probably ought to figure out You need to solve that, because that shouldn't always be the case. A little bit of adjustment is fine, but if you're having to wrestle with it every time you move the capo, maybe the rubber on your capo has just gotten old and hard, and you're having to crank down on it too hard. Or maybe you need to do a little adjustment to your banjo. But don't make the audience suffer through it. okay? And also, don't wreck a good show, the variety of a good flowing show, by saying, well, you know, I just spent five minutes getting my banjo perfectly in tune, so I want to play all my A-tunes now. You know, that's not going to contribute to good showmanship. Okay. Now, I talked about the the little two-song mini set at the beginning, I and I mentioned the big finish. I think the big finish is important because, as they say, you always want to leave them wanting more. Now, maybe you're playing, maybe this gig, you're going to play four sets that night. But if you're coming to the end of your set, you don't want to just taper off to nothing. Because people are going to get up and find an excuse to leave. Go home. You want them sticking around for the next set. So you want to have a good solid finish. If you're playing you know, single sets over the over the course of a weekend festival, the same thing is true. You want to leave them with a good finish so that they will come visit your record table or so that they will come back, make a mental note, they're playing tomorrow at 2 o'clock and by golly, I'm going to be back down there to see them again. Leave them wanting more. So have a big finish. Uh, as you look through your songs choosing these, put your best foot forward at the beginning and end strong. You know, if you're going to get weak, put that stuff in the middle. Okay, now another thing about having these sets written down, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, I think it's important that if there's one member of your band that typically does the writing of the set list, that's, that's okay. Everybody doesn't have to get involved in crafting of a set. But everybody has a voice, at least in a Democratic-style band, in whether or not that's what you actually do. In other words, John writes the set list. He, that doesn't make him the dictator in a Democratic-style band. Everybody in the band has a right of refusal Now what I would say is, if John has jotted down the set for your show, he should show it to you. Most people are going to go, yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But they might look down and go, ah, you know what, I'm not feeling really good about that one. I'm a little croaky today, I stayed up too late last night. Could you maybe just scratch that one or put something else there instead of that? So before you get out there, make sure that all your members have at least glanced over the set and given given you a nod of approval. And if they've got something they don't feel good about, talk to them about it and accommodate them. Because you don't want to you don't want to force people to go out and do something that they're not feeling really comfortable about. I'll give you an example. It could be uh there have been cases where I was singing lead on a song and for whatever reason right before we went out i had doubts as to whether i could remember all four verses because we hadn't been doing it that long and the person who wrote the set is saying oh you can do it you can do it i say i I don't know man i'm sitting here right now i can't remember the first verse how about scratch that let's work on that some more put in such and such so be a little flexible you know don't be a dictator of your sets Unless you're hiring and firing, you know, in which case you do what you want to. But if you're one of these Democratic-type bands, give people at least a chance to see it. And if they want to beg off of something, you know, give them that chance. But on the other side of the coin, if you're a band member and somebody has just spent half an hour crafting this set, you know, don't pick it apart either. Don't say, well, you know what, I think we ought to do... Drifting with the tide before Carolyn, instead of Carolyn, but yeah. You know, don't nitpick it because if you want to write the sets, I'm sure he would be happy to hand it off to you and say, "Well, okay, why don't you sit down for a half an hour and work on this?" So you know, kind of be there in the middle. Okay. Another thing is consider that sometimes you, as you start building playing in a band you're going to build up sets i said in one of the episodes one of your first challenges is to craft set number one you need a set of music before you can go out and perform then you start working on a second set then a third set then a fourth set these days you're not going to get many opportunities to go out and play you know a four or five set gig where you play from nine eight you know nine p.m to two in the morning there aren't many of those kind of gigs around in the bluegrass world. But I think it's, it's a good goal to work towards four sets. And you craft these sets. Now you can then show up at any show and just choose the one that kind of feels the best on that given day. Choose one. And then break them up. This is really good at a weekend festival where maybe you're playing twice on... Friday, or once on Friday, twice on Saturday, or something like that, and you've got four prepared. You can say, Hey guys, what do you think? Let's do set one this evening, let's pick set four for tomorrow morning, and then we'll go with set two later. How's that sound? Great! And you got it all done. Now, for eight years, Pony Express played a weekly gig. And we did three sets each Thursday night. And I had four sets written up. Now, these sets, they would change over time. You know, new songs would come along. You know, it could be that every four or five months I was kind of redoing the sets. Putting in some stuff, taking out some stuff that wasn't working or we just weren't doing anymore. But I always kept these, this one 85 by 11 sheet of paper that had four sets of music on it. I'm going to scan this thing and put a scan of that sheet of paper on the show notes page. If you want to just go take a look at my the, the madness behind my method. Now we only played three sets. And I didn't want to start every week exactly the same. I didn't want to play sets one, then two, then three every week. So, I wrote four sets, and the first week, we might do sets one, two, then three. The next week, we might do three, four, and one. i just mix them up. I would just select three, and I would get the other guy's input. What do you think about, how about we start with XYZ set? And here's how, I'm just going to rattle through um, one or two of the sets, the the sheet is 8 and a half by 11 vertical, and I divided it into four quadrants. And upper left, it says Acorns Set, and I called that set number one the Acorns Set because the first song was an instrumental written by our banjo player called Acorns on the Roof. The second set is called the Dock Slash One Car Set. And lo and behold, we start with the tune Doc Harris and then jumped into One Car Funeral Procession. The third set was called Hardball, because we started with an instrumental called Hardball. And the fourth set was called Dixon County, because we started with Dixon County Breakdown. So that was the title. I could say, hey boys, uh, let's go out there, we're going we're gonna to do the Acorn set. Well, they all had a copy of this thing. All I had to do was... You could actually fold this little this piece of paper in fourths, and just be looking at one of the sets, any one of the four sets. You could depend on how you folded it. You could have that right in front of you. And I used to um, carry little magnets. I bought a little package of magnets at Radio Shack, and I had five of these set lists. And in between, while everybody else was on break, I would go take the set list and fold it so that the next set was visible and stick the magnet on it and stick it on their mic stand right in front of their face so when they came back from break after chewing the fat and pressing the flesh and uh, visiting the watering hole they would come back and i'd already changed the set list over to the hardball set and it's there with a little magnet and there it is, right in front of them. And there's 13 songs. So here, here's a typical one. This set started with an instrumental called called Hardball, key of D. Then we immediately busted into, huh, God help us, Fox on the Run, into key of A. Then we switched the key of D, 10 degrees, key of A, Little Cabin Home on the Hill, key of E, Willie Jones, key of A. Your love is like a flower. Key of D, whiskey before breakfast. Then, and all four sets had this, Guest Slot in big letters. I'll come back to that. Then came G, Man of Constant Sorrow. D, Old Freightliner. G, Little Girl of Mine in Tennessee. D, The Ashokan Farewell Dixie Medley. D minor, an instrumental called McDonough. What you'll notice there is that that's 13 songs and the key changes every time. There wasn't a single one where there were two in a row. However, when crafting these sets, a lot of times I would try to think about how does the guitar player play that? Does he play it out of open C or does he put have his capo on? Let's say we're playing a song in D. Is he playing an open D, or is he putting a capo on the second fret and playing it out of C? And I would take that into consideration to try to minimize capo changes. So the key might change. Let's say he might be in A, and then he's in D, and he plays them both with a capo on the second fret. That's smoother than forcing him to do capo changes. Now, in the other band I was in, Cedar Hill, uh, a lot of times... We had a guy, David Ellis, who played fiddle and dobro. Fiddle or dobro. He didn't play them at the same time. He would sometimes get irritated with us when when he would have two songs back-to-back where he needed to switch instruments and we weren't allowing enough time. So we tried to build in features to the set to give him time to change over. For example, I'm about to say a little something, and mention the record table, that's sufficient time for him to put his fiddle away, get his dobro out, get adjusted, and be ready. So if you got people swapping instruments, that's another consideration you need to take. And try to make anything that involves capo changes or instrument changes, let that be the time where your MC is doing a little talking. Okay? All right. Enough about those set lists. If you want to go take a look at those, uh, you'll see the, the key changes. Another thing that I, I added, mostly for my own benefit, is I would have the key, then the title, and then some letter codes. Like, here I'll, here's one that's old home place. It says A, old home place, B slash M, M slash F, F slash B. And you can look at this on the show notes. The B is underlined. And all that means is the banjo kicks it off. And it says B slash M. That means that the opening break is actually a split break. Banjo kicks it off. Madeline finishes it. The second break is M slash F. Madeline splits it with a fiddle. The third break is fiddle splits it with a banjo. Another song on there, a more simple version. This says... Give F rain o oh, rain, G underlined, M F. That means the guitar kicks it off. The on has the first break, fiddle has the second break. I mean it's when you learn your arrangements really well, you don't need that stuff, but when when the arrangements are still a little bit green, sometimes you do, you know, So these things a lot of times were written on there when the song was first added to the set. And then later on, we didn't really, you know, need to even look at them. We knew who kicked off each tune. And you should, too. Okay. Let's get back to a few more do's and don'ts, and I'm going to close this thing out. Here's a don't. Show killer. Don't waste people's time. Or at least try not to. You might need to kill time sometimes. Because a guy broke a string or something. But don't waste time. You know, try to get on with things. Try to, without feeling rushed, try to get back to making music. Because that's what they're there for. Another thing is a mediocre start. Don't go out there and get off to a bad start. Put some good stuff first. Here's another don't. If you've got a couple of type A personalities in the band who like to get up on the microphone and talk, be careful because it's very irritating to the audience and to the people who are talking if you're talking over each other. If person A starts going into a little introduction to the song, ah, oh, here's a song written by John Hartford that we like to do, and someone else in the band starts talking right over him. You know, it's bad. It be, people can't listen to two people at once. So if there's more than one person talking on stage, you might have just thought of the funniest one-liner in the world and you want to say it right then. Try to resist that urge. And at least make eye contact with who's talking. Move up towards the microphone so he knows you're wanting to say something. Wait till he pauses... Then say it, you know. As much as you can, if only one person is talking over the microphones at a time, that's better. Okay, another good rule is don't talk to each other. And certainly don't talk to each other over the microphones. Don't step up to the microphone and go, Bob, put your capo on. You know, very unprofessional. If you need to tell the banjo player something, do it off mic, lean whispered in his ear. Don't use the PA system as your communication system among band members. Okay. Another thing is I've, I've I've witnessed some people do this and maybe they're just mic shy or they're they're afraid of talking to the audience, but When you step up to a microphone and you're addressing the audience, look at them. Talk to them. Don't talk to your buddies in the band. I've seen people walk up. I'm not going to mention any names here. Get really close to the microphone. They're going to introduce the song. Then turn their head and face their person to the right in the band and introduce the song to that guy. And you can't hear him very good. And the person he's talking to is sort of looking at him like, why are you telling me this? The audience is out there. So here's what it boils down to. If you're speaking over a microphone, you're either talking to the audience or you're talking, you're only talking to the audience if you're over a microphone. And if you are speaking to a band member, you're doing it off the mic, whispering it, or it's part of the act. There are times, Cedar Hill, we did this a lot, where we had these little gags and routines that we did where I would say something and Jimmy would say something and I would say something back to him and he would say something back to me and then we'd get a laugh. Those go over the microphone. But if I'm needing to say, man, uh, did did you hear that last tune? Man, that really stunk. Don't say that over the microphone. In fact, just save that kind of stuff for later. Uh, Another thing is, when someone is speaking or playing, let's say your fiddle player is kicking off a tune, and he's going to start this song all by himself. It's going to be beautiful, and he goes into it. We used to do Dixie this way, and our fiddle player would just start all alone. And just begin. And it was beautiful. Don't be standing in the back just because you're not required at that moment, yucking it up with the banjo player, talking to him. Even if nobody can hear it, they see you. You should, at that moment, if the fiddle player, if you want the audience to be looking at the fiddle player and be absorbed in this beautiful introduction, you need to be absorbed in it too. So, here's a good rule of thumb for all performing. Where you want the audience to be looking or listening, because looking and listening are kind of tied together. You tend to hear what you're looking at. What you want the audience to do, all of the band members should do. If the banjo player is taking a break, I want the other four members to be looking at that banjo player. And when the mandolin player starts his break, I want everybody's head on stage to turn and watch the mandolin player play. And then when the lead singer sings, I want everybody's head to turn and look at the lead singer. When five people are on stage looking here, looking there, looking here, looking there, the audience will do the exact same thing. A lot of them will. But if the banjo player's taking his break and you're looking over here and whispering something to the fiddle player and he's looking out at the crowd, you know, you're not directing the audience very well. And I know I'm getting off of operating a set or creating set lists and more talking about, you know, qualities of onstage performance. But, hey, I thought of it. I figured I better say it. Okay, here's another bad idea. I call this the Outroduction. Just don't do this. You're going to look like a real clodhopper if you do this. And here's how the Outroduction works. You start a song. You play the song. The audience claps. And then you step up to the microphone. And you tell them about the song you just played. Oh yeah, you know that song we just played? That was written by so-and-so. And featured our... You know, it's past. It's in the past. Don't ever... Do introductions? It's too late. Do introductions. Forget the introductions. I see it all the time. People think of things while they're playing the song, and they want to say them. And when the song's over, they say them. It's meaningless. Just make a mental note that on your next performance, do it the other other way around. Do introductions, not introductions. Another thing: introducing members of the band. I think. Not only should you say the band name a couple of times during the show and say, and by the way, we have business cards. If you, you know, anybody wants a card, all our members have cards in their pocket. You, know, you should promote your band from the stage. Not, Don't overdo it. But I think you owe it to the audience to tell everybody in the audience who these people are. So you can do it two ways. You can do it as things come up. If you're about to feature your fiddle player, introduce your fiddle player to the audience. If you're about to have your bass player step forward and sing lead, that's a good time to introduce him. And, you know, it could be that throughout the show, you manage to get everybody covered. And it's generally considered good uh, manners to not introduce yourself. Like, you may do the other thing where there's a certain part of the show where you just rattle off who's doing what. Here, our banjo player from the great state of Kentucky is so-and-so, and and our man-on-player over here, isn't he doing a fine job, and blah, 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 and you work your way down. And then it comes to you. The way it's normally done is you just step back and your bass player steps up and says, and now over here on guitar, in other words, it's kind of tacky to introduce yourself. Okay, like, oh, and by the way, I'm Brad Laird. You know, it's just, it's tacky. So whether you do all the introductions in one fell swoop or whether you can, if you could plan them into the show at the appropriate moments, I think they're more effective. Okay. Okay. Last couple things, encores. If you're doing a single set, especially, or an opening act thing, you know, once in a while you get asked to do an encore, to do one more, hey, do one more. Be prepared for that. Have something ready to go. Have one in your back pocket, so to speak, and everybody knows what it is, you can put it on the set list and write it in parentheses. You know, if they ask, we're going to come out and do this. Second thing, make it. A good tune you may not get a chance to play it but if they do ask you to play one more make it a good one make it they'll be like why didn't they do that to begin with save one of your best tunes for the end i hate it when somebody gets asked to do an encore and they don't know what to do and they waltz on stage and they do something that's kind of weak i mean have something really good ready to go if you get the chance to do an encore Walk out there and hit it. Okay, another thing that's kind of cool, you see the Lewis family do this a lot, maybe sometimes too often, it's called the reprise. And this works really good on an instrumental. Let's say you got your banjo player up there and he's racing through the hottest banjo instrumental of all time. And he comes to the end, shaving a haircut, dump dump, and the crowd goes wild. And you can almost count five, four, three, Two, one, and he kicks into it again, and he goes through it one more time. Not the whole song, just the last break one more time. That's really cool, but don't overdo it. So that's called a reprise. They're digging it. Just whack them over the head one more time with it. You know, maybe not even do that more than once per per show. Okay, I think I've talked enough here in this episode. Um, While you are listening to this, I am actually visiting my daughter and my new grandbaby up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, I am recording this right before Thanksgiving. I hope all of you have a great Thanksgiving. I'm not even going to plug anything about the site other than to say, go to BradleyLaird.com. Enjoy it.